Our very existence depends on this. Black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity, feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another edition of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Hello. Good evening, everyone. Thank you all for tuning in and welcome to the African-American Wellness Project's Heart Health Webinar. It's sponsored by Nova Nordisk and also Berkeley Pilgrimage Foundation. Our webinar today is called Let's Talk Heart Health in African-American Women. Sisters, it's a lifestyle thing. Incorporating and maintaining healthy practices for optimal heart and obesity outcomes throughout the holidays and into the new year. I am Dr. Shonda Nicole Hosley, an African-American Wellness Project Executive Board Member, and I'm also a public health practitioner. Today, you're in for a real treat. Prepare to be educated and inspired. We will hear from several dynamic, gifted women of color as they bring us important information about cardiovascular health. We will even have an energizer break. So make sure you're dressed comfortably. Soon I will introduce our panelists, but before I do, I wanted to share some pretty grim facts with you. According to the American Heart Association, did you know heart disease and stroke is the number one killer in women? Stroke disease disproportionately affects African-Americans. And importantly, African-American women are less likely than Caucasian women to be aware that heart, heart disease is a leading cause of death. Here are a couple more unsettling facts. Cardiovascular diseases kill nearly 50,000 African-American women annually. And of African-American women ages 20 and older, 49% almost half have heart disease. And only one in five African-American women believe she's personally at risk. So can you see why programs such as ours to get out information about heart health is critical? I can. And so without further ado, we're gonna get into our webinar. Today, it'll be provided to you in about four different parts. We'll first hear from esteemed clinicians about cardiovascular health and facts. Then we will have an exercise break that will get us energized and excited. Then we'll segue into hearing from some health our life health coaches who are knowledgeable in living a healthy um, lifestyle. And then we'll, we'll wrap it up with any final questions and answers. Be sure to drop questions for us in the chat as we go, and we'll be sure to get to all of your questions and um, make sure you know everything that you need to know about living and maintaining a healthy lifestyle now and into the new year. Okay, I'd like to introduce our healthcare practitioners. First, we have Dr. Shaka Britton. 
She is an obesity medicine and lifestyle specialist. She's a native of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and a board certified adult gerontology nurse practitioner with a master's degree in nursing education and a doctorate of nursing practice. She moved to Florida in 2002 to attend Florida State University where she earned her bachelor's degree in nursing. Dr. Brennan has spent over a decade training, nurse, training nurses and is currently an assistant professor of nursing at the University of North Florida. She is also the new owner and operator of Caring Concepts Health and Wellness, which focuses on lifestyle and obesity medicine. Her philosophy of care is rooted in the belief that all patients have what it takes to lead a high quality life free of chronic illness. It is her desire to utilize a holistic approach to get to the root of illness and uncover underlying factors that are contributing to illness to foster optimal long-term health outcomes. Shaka currently resides in Jacksonville, Florida. She is married with two children. And I'm gonna take a little bit of moderator privilege right here because she didn't put this on the paper, but she is also a member of Jack and Jill <laughs> in the Jacksonville chapter. And she is also a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And she's my dear friend. I'm so excited to work alongside her this evening. Welcome, Dr. Britton. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. And we also have Dr. Ashley Roselle. Ashley earned a Bachelor of Science in Psychology from the University of New Orleans. She and her husband transplanted to Jacksonville, Florida, where she pursued a career in nursing. She obtained a Bachelor, Master, and Doctor of Nursing, all with honors. Cardiology is her passion, working on many cardiac units and eventually as a cardiac nurse practitioner. She is a board-certified family nurse practitioner currently working clinically in academia. She is a mother to two daughters. I'm also in the two moms club, <laughs> ages seven and four. And Ashley is an active member of several professional organizations. Welcome. I'll turn it over to you guys. And then after you all finish, we'll entertain any questions from our audience. Okay. All right. So we'll go back a few slides, actually, and we'll start talking about heart disease. Um, as heart disease is known as the number one killer in America, um, I have some, some astonishing statistics on the next slide. So in 2018, African Americans were 30% more likely to die than non-Hispanic Americans of heart disease. Um, nearly 60% more likely to have high blood pressure than Hispanic white women, and even more likely or less likely to have the blood pressure controlled. Um, heart disease actually kills nearly 50,000 African-American women yearly. Um, among those African-American women ages 20 and older, nearly 50% have cardiovascular disease. Um, only one in five African-American women believe she is personally at risk. Next slide, please. Um, so there are many risk factors for heart disease. Um, we have hypertension, obesity, and diabetes. 
all of which can be controlled by uh, lifestyle changes. For hypertension, we, we often control with diet and medications. Um, we can do things such as decrease the salt intake, um, and which includes additional, like adding additional table salt and eating foods high in sodium, like pork. Um, and just monitoring your blood pressure can also improve um, your overall readings. Obesity, again, is a risk factor of heart disease. 82% of African-American women are obese. Um, to combat obesity, we can do things like limiting red meat, increasing lean meats like chicken breast and fish, and monitoring our overall carbohydrate-heavy foods, which leads to diabetes and other uh, comorbidities. We want to also look for whole grain options um, and, and rid things of including white bread and white rice um, and white pastas and increase our vegetable intake and water intake. Um, again, diabetes is also a risk factor, and it's, again, treatable and preventable um, by monitoring your diet, increasing physical activity with just by walking 30 minutes a day. There are many different treatments um, for all the comorbidities, including hypertension, high cholesterol, um, cardiovascular disease. Um, the, the biggest thing is that you want to treat the risk factors. So with the high blood pressure along with, and sometimes we may need medications, you, you, of course, you want to decrease your salt and caffeine and other modifiable factors, but we may have to throw in some medications to help along the way. Um, different blood pressure medications include lisinopril, which is an ACE inhibitor. Many African-Americans may know about this drug and that it comes with some side effects, but it is considered first-line treatment and the most effective for African-Americans. Um, then we have metoprolol, which is a beta blocker, which helps as well, amlodipine and hydrochlorothiazide. These are all drugs that you may be familiar with um, and may have been prescribed by your provider. Um, anytime you are taking a medication for high blood pressure to decrease the risk of cardiovascular disease, you want to ensure that you're compliant and taking a medication daily along with monitoring your blood pressure. Um, the treatments for high cholesterol we have are atorvastatin, simvastatin, niacin, and a host of others as well. But the treatment for cholesterol, again, if it's controlled, then your overall cardiovascular risk decreases. Um, statins are known to decrease the, the sludge in your arteries, so entails you won't have any blockages leading to heart disease. Um, and then the last is a preventative or a conjunctive medication, or baby aspirin, which Sounds like, okay, a baby aspirin is a small, a small take on things, but it plays a huge role in preventing cardiovascular disease, along with the high cholesterol medications, the statins, the niacins, and all blood pressure meds. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Great information. And, and so now I kind of want to take you all just down the road of obesity and as it relates to heart disease, and particularly as it relates to African-American and African-American women. Currently in today's society, in Western society, um, and actually you can stay on the first slide, um, we are in an obesity epidemic, okay? Obesity and overweight continue to be a major health, public health problem that affects over half of the adult population. When we look at long-term overweight and obesity, this has become a major health hazard in the Western world, and it is unfortunately epidemic 
amongst African-Americans. We are leading the race when it comes to obesity and overweight uh, uh, proportions. Non-Hispanic Black women, unfortunately, have the highest age-adjusted rates of obesity amongst all racial categories. This, unfortunately, leads to the higher rates of morbidity and mortality that we see just exclusively amongst our community. And this, just obesity in itself, contributes to the higher rates of diabetes, uh, cancer, certain types of cancer, heart disease, and decreased years of life. And so it begs the question, how did we get here? Well, I could probably have a whole hour and a half seminar <laughs> on the social determinants of health that have led to our current state of, of affairs. And a lot of that comes down to one, nutrition. When we look at our Western diet, it is typically high in saturated fats, and that is no exception in the African-American diet. African-Americans are less likely to engage in regular physical activity. There is a higher perception or, or uh, a feel of social stress amongst African-Americans for various reasons. And then you throw in healthcare access, whereas African-Americans are less likely to receive screening, they're less likely to receive follow-up, and they're more likely to have treatment delays. And so when we look at that, just a small portion of those social determinants of health that all kind of lend themselves to a perfect storm um, uh, of obesity and, the, and the, the consequences of obesity, particularly heart disease, which is the number one killer in America, we have a problem. And it's not just weight and BMI. We also have to look at waist circumference. This matters. And so when we look at that, we know that an increasing waist circumference, particularly a waist circumference greater than 35 in inches, increases your risk of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, heart attack, stroke. So this matters. And we also know that when that waist circumference goes 35, 40, and beyond, we see an increase in visceral fat. And while we all have visceral fat, and visceral fat is the fat that lines our organs and our thoracic cavity, and we all have it. But the problem is when that waist circumference goes beyond 35, we see more, a higher proportion of visceral fat. And the problem with this is that these fat cells house a lot of um, certain fatty acids that are precursors to inflammation that cause the domino effect that lead to vascular disorders and heart disease. So when we look at this, we can, I do wanna share with you the current state of affairs. Where are we when it comes to um, obesity and, and how we kind of match up to other, others in terms of ethnicity and age? So you can go on to the next slide. So 80% of premature deaths are attributable to three factors tobacco use, poor diet, and lack of physical activity. I tell you that coronary artery disease, heart disease, for most people is a lifestyle-related disease. We can mitigate this with the choices that we make every day, okay? Poor diet, lack of physical activity directly lends itself to obesity and obesity risk, the risk factor for developing obesity. Three out of four people are eating a diet low in fruits and vegetables. And I will talk in a minute just why that is so important. Four out of five don't get enough physical activity. 11% of patients who are diagnosed with diabetes um, 
only 11% follow the recommended guidelines for saturated fat, and 8% of folks who are diagnosed with heart disease continue to smoke. Again, these are all choices. There's some things that we can't control that's a risk factor. We call these non-modifiable risk factors like being born a female or being African-American. We can't change that. But there's so much that we do have control over that we have to start dialing into to change the trajectory that we are, that we are on. And you can go on to the next slide. We also see, as my colleague stated, that more than 60% of the US population falls in the overweight or obese categories. Well, let's break this down a little bit. When we look at African-American women, 52% of African-American women are obese on any given day compared to only 38% of non-Hispanic white women. And when we look at obesity and, and overweight, you know, overweight in terms of a BMI is a BMI between 25 and 29.9. Obesity categories start at 30 and up. And then we have class one, class two, and class three obesity. When we look at the prevalence of class three obesity, we're also leading that race. Class three obesity is a BMI greater than 40. And this is what we've historically called morbid obesity. We don't really use that term anymore. This is class three obesity. And unfortunately, African-American women are, uh, have a rate of 16.8% in terms of class three obesity compared to only 9% in non-Hispanic white women. Overall, African-American women are 70% more likely to be overweight than non-Hispanic white women. That is significant. When we look at our lifetime risk of heart disease in obese patients, we're looking at 37% compared to 26% in non-obese women aged 50, 45 to 54. And then when we look at severe obesity, like class three obesity, it's an 88% increase in mortality and a five-fold increase or risk of uh, congestive heart failure. These, this is significant. And we know that our lifestyle choices affect these parameters as evidenced by the following. When we look at individuals who are able to maintain an ideal weight, body weight and waist circumference, there is a 35 to 55% reduction in the risk of heart disease. When we look at individuals who are able to kick the habit of smoking, there's a 50% decrease in the risk of, a, of developing a sudden heart attack. When we look at individuals who are able to commit to at least 150 minutes per week of physical exercise, moderate intensity, there's a 35 to 55% decrease in the risk of heart disease. And individuals who can get in at least five servings of fruits and vegetables a day have a 20 to 25% decreased risk of developing heart disease in their lifetime. These are simple choices that we can make that make a big difference in our overall quality of life and our risk for heart disease down the road. And you can go on to this last slide here. So when I look at obesity and heart disease, we're really looking at this from four different pillars, nutrition, physical activity, behavioral um, dynamics, and, and for some pharmacologic interventions. When it comes to nutrition, I tell anyone, food is the best pharmacy. Your grocery store is the best pharmacy you will ever have. Food can make a difference. What we feed our body is fuel. You can give your body 90 octane every day and get that engine running at its best, 
or you can give it whatever is laying around um, and to feed that need at that time, okay? One of the things I like to tell people about is, is really when we look at fats and saturated fats. So cholesterol is exclusively found in animal products. So when we look at individuals who are vegan or vegetarian, I'm not saying you have to be vegan or vegetarian, but I'm just saying, when we look at those individuals that don't consume a lot of animal products, we really don't see those higher rates of cholesterol because they're not taking it in. I also have to talk about saturated fats. We in our Western society consume a lot of saturated fats. And this is because we eat diets that are typically high in meats and cheeses and low in um, plant foods or whole food plant-based items. We also have to talk about trans fats. Trans fats were placed in foods historically because they um, help foods last longer. They're almost like a preservative, but we found over time that it doesn't fare well with our vessels and our heart. And so they took trans fats out of the foods that most people crave, like cookies and cakes and things like that, and replaced it with saturated fats, such as coconut oils and palm oils and lard. So making sure, again, we increase the intake of whole food plant-based items is a simple thing that we can do to mitigate our risk for heart disease. And just to let you know, when it comes to saturated fats, you know, we really see a high intake in, the, in our Western society of saturated fats, such as cheeses and meats. I know, I love a good cheese, but if that's what you're consuming every single day, then your risk of developing heart disease will go up because we know that these are the types of fats, stearic acids and palmitic acids that are directly correlated with coronary artery disease. And then I can't not talk about carbs in the form of fiber. Fiber is essential to decreasing cholesterol, um, helping regulate your gut. Um, and when we look at soluble fibers like oatmeal and chia seeds and vegetables and fruits such as apples, with the skin on, I'm not talking about apple juice, I'm talking about an actual apple. These are, again, little things you can do to mitigate your risk from a nutritional standpoint. And then when we look at physical activity, our recommendations are for people ages 18 to 64, 2.5 hours per week of aerobic activity. And I can't not say and talk about strength training and resistance training. A lot of the people that I see that are looking to lose weight are uh, women who are middle-aged, perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal, and their one complaint is the uh, abdominal uh, um, circumference here. And resistance training is essential to decreasing uh, waist circumference. So if you can throw that in there two to three times per week, that's also really good. But I also have to tell you, physical activity alone, it can improve your blood pressure, it can improve your fasting blood glucose, which is the amount of blood sugar, or a sugar that's in your blood when you haven't eaten anything for at least eight hours. It can decrease your risk of cardiovascular disease, but physical activity alone has little to no weight loss effect if you do not reel in your diet. You can't out-train a bad diet. And then there's little things you can do, like taking the stairs when you're only going one story up at, at your job. Leave that elevator alone. Walk up those stairs. Those steps count. When you go to a store, 
try not to find the closest parking spot unless you're in a torrential downpour like our Florida summers, <laughs> um, but try and park far away so you can get those steps in. Those activities, those steps, those movements, it matters. We are in a society where we sit at a computer all day and that doesn't fare well for our overall health and wellness. And then it's the behavioral things, stress and sleep, stress and sleep. Stress, we know when we are stressed out, we are more likely to engage in habits that are not good for us, like smoking, decreasing our physical activity, engaging, consuming foods that are high in trans and saturated fats. This leads to an increased risk of hypertension and obesity and all some other morbidities as well, which directly relates to the risk of atherosclerotic disease or heart disease. Reducing your stress, connecting with people face-to-face, -face, getting outside, walking, taking a walk or a mental health break when you're working, addressing your spiritual needs, um, getting involved in things that are important to you, hobbies, volunteering, and then just relaxation, yoga, meditation. And then there's sleep. We live in a society where people who don't get a lot of sleep are, are deemed to be superheroes and strong and yeah, you only live off of two hours of sleep. That's not good. Our body needs sleep to rejuvenate and, and restore. And for folks who are um, over the age of 18, 18 to 64, we're really looking at a range of sleep from 10 to six hours with that median being about seven to eight hours for most people. And as we get older, that number tends to go down just a little bit. But again, things you can do to improve your sleep making sure that you establish a regular sleep cycle. I know it's so easy on the weekends to sleep in until 10 o'clock, but then Monday morning, you're getting up early again and it kind of throws you off. So try to only allow yourself an extra hour or so on the weekends to keep that sleep cycle in check. Um, minimizing bedroom noises and lights, power naps, less than 30 minutes tend to be helpful um, for many people. Uh, increasing your exposure to daytime light but turning off those lights and dimming those lights about an hour before you go to bed and put that phone down. Those blue lights are not helpful for high quality sleep. And uh, minimizing your intake of caffeine and alcohol at least three hours prior to bed. And the last thing are the pharmacological interventions that we can uh, help mitigate our risk of obesity and subsequent heart disease. Currently, there are five anti-obesity medicines that are FDA approved on the market. They either work on your brain or they work on your gut. They work on your brain to tell you that you um, are not hungry or to mitigate certain cravings that you might have, okay? They are highly effective. What we know about obesity is that it is not like an acute infection for many people. When you have a sinus infection, I can give you an antibiotic. You take your antibiotic for seven days, your infection goes away, you go on with life, right? That we know, or we are finding out, is for many people not how obesity works. And instead, it's more of a chronic illness for many people where they may need a pill, just like somebody with asthma or lupus, every day to mitigate that, to make sure that their BMI stays in a healthy range. And that's okay, because obesity is way more complex than eating less and exercising more for many people. And we as healthcare providers and clinicians have to have those conversations with our patients to open that door, to talk about it, 
And if you're not comfortable doing that, send them to someone who is. So that's all I have for you today. And I tried to make it as short as I could because I could go on all day about this. But um, hopefully I've given you some good information that you can take and implement into your lifestyle and spread the word to those that, that you care about. Oh my gosh, you you did share a wealth of information. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, that's great. Actually, one of the things that you talked about was um, navigating the healthcare system. And that was one of my questions that I have for you because at, Afri at the African Amer American Wellness Project, one thing that we like to do is ensure that our members and our audience know how to advocate for themselves and navigate this complex medical system that we have in America. So you said some things about possibly um, using pharmacologics to help. Um, you talked about our BMI, you talked about you know uh, watching our blood pressure numbers and all of that. If a person does not have a primary care physician or if a person does not know where to start, what advice can you give them? And let's also bring in Dr. Roselle too, because she may wish to participate in this question and answer session. So just practical tips that you can, like some people are not as confident. Some people may be a little timid. Mm -hmm. Where do they start? What do they do? So if you don't have the resources to navigate the healthcare system, there are things that you can do on your own, lifestyle related, just day to day. One of the simplest things I tell patients that are overwhelmed with nutrition and tracking and macros, I say, listen, when you make a plate, half that plate, fill it up with your favorite veggies, right? Half that plate, you fill it up with your veggies. A third of that plate, you pick whatever lean protein you have on hand and you give yourself a little complex carb, a little starch, like a little sweet potato or something like that, right? When you do that, you fill half your plate with those veggies you're already meet, helping you your your body meet the needs for fiber for the micro and macronutrients that we need that we need to consume on a daily basis without um, increasing the intake of, of nutrient sparse foods when you fill your plate with mm -hmm. nutrient dense foods it leaves very little room for you to fill your plate with mounds and mounds of unrefined white rice <laughs> or the breads or things that we know if we overconsume, it gets us in trouble. And l little things like that. You don't need a gym. You absolutely don't need a gym. The concrete is free. Get up, go walking, right? Get your steps in, okay? Little things that you can do. And if you do need a primary care provider, as I have worked in many, there are many um, free clinics in, in most communities that are ready and willing with the resources in the community for those that may not have it in, in forms of insurance and, and, and you know, may, may need a little more help. Yeah, <clears throat> of course, and I agree. I think seeking primary care is, the, is one of the best things. So then you have that foundation and the help that you need and you have people like me and Chaka that's there to help kind of guide you in the right direction. Um, I often say like a walk goes a long way. Like you can just start by walking. And another analogy I use with my patients all the time is that we eat oils and fats and butters, but we, we cook those in our kitchen, but we would not by any means pour them down the kitchen sink. So essentially when we eat those, we're pouring them down our kitchen sink and clogging our drains and causing heart disease, which is not the best thing. So if we can just make small changes, like Shaka said, just small changes can take us a long way for sure. But seeking primary care is good and there are 
plenty of clinics around in, in Jacksonville everywhere that can help. Right. So nationwide, because we have mm -hmm. other audience members. This is a national program. Um, what, what do you say to the African-American woman that's of the mindset? Well, my family members are sick, you know, it's okay. Um, those, those BMI numbers, they don't apply to me, you know, are, do they apply to African-Americans as well as other races? How do you combat that way of thinking? Oh man, so many cultural, you know, um, uh, the culture is ingrained in, I just had this conversation, I think with my mom talking about big boned. No, <laughs> everyone's bones are just, we all got the same type of bone. Everybody got big bones. Okay. <laughs> but I think that's kind of how we have placated ourselves and, and, and tried to convince ourselves that this is normal. Yes, Black women tend to have a different shape. We, we all, you know, that, that, that is, we tend to hold more weight in the, in the lower body. Okay. But that doesn't mean that um, we have to be okay with having a BMI that is unhealthy, right? And I, ha I have to say, as evidenced by this, the statistics, you can look at the literature. I just today, I just to look. Let me just see what's out. Let me make sure I'm up to date on my content, right? At article after article, uh, obesity in African American women, obesity in African American women, and and all of them almost have the same statistics, and that we're looking at over half of African American women who are overweight or obese. And then we look at the morbidity and mortality rates. Do we need a separate BMI scale? I don't know if that would help us, to be honest. I know that for Asian Americans, we do have a little bit of a different parameter um, because they tend to be a smaller stature. So, so obese for them, the number tends to be a little lower than, than the rest of the population. Um, but I don't know if that would actually help us. I think, I think we do have some cultural things that are ingrained in, in how we communicate. And I was actually just reading an article uh, in Florida about the cultural norms around obesity in African-American women. And it was a lot of the women use the term, they, oh, my BMI is, is not high. I'm just thick. <laughs> and that's okay. But also, you know, making sure we recognize that, okay, well, what does thick mean? You know, what does that mean long-term? My other, my other role is palliative medicine and hospice and end of life care. So mm -hmm. I see the end of this. Mm -hmm. I see the end game every day. Mm -hmm. I see the patients with the complications of diabetes who are mm -hmm. obese and it, it, it's not fun. It's not what you want. Okay. And so if we can mitigate this with our lifestyle choices, we can still be thick. We just don't need to have an unhealthy BMI. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> We can still be <laughs> Ashley. I agree. I don't think we should have a, a separate scale because then it, it gives us a crutch. Mm. I mean, we understand that we 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 like to be nostalgic. I mean, I'm from New Orleans where everything is deep fried and heavy cream, <laughs> buttered up and all of it included. Yeah. But we have to have a happy ground, like a medium ground to where you can still be nostalgic, you know, around the holidays, but then the rest of the time you're eating you know, chicken and fish and veggies, mostly veggies and staying away from the carbs. Cause like, I mean, there, all of this can lead to diabetes, which leads to kidney disease, which leads to heart disease. So it all, it's, 
a constant cycle and we see it all the time in our community because we believe that it does not affect us as other cultures and it's not true and so i think we're all to the same standards right and even to mm -hmm. that point you mentioned come, being from new orleans when you look if you look at a map that um kind of qu quantifies the rates of obesity Mm -hmm. The Southeast is lit up like a Christmas tree yeah. in terms of having the highest rates of obesity. Now we do have the best foods, but clearly <laughs> we, are, right. <laughs> we, we might be overindulging a little bit. And you, you look out in, in areas like Colorado has, has led, um, has, has consistently had the lowest rates of overweight and obesity consistently. <laughs> What are they doing differently over there? Well, you're more likely to go biking to work or walking yeah. versus yeah. the South, <laughs> yeah. right? You're, you're a more active lifestyle. Um, and so that makes a difference. They have consistently had lower rates, the lowest mm -hmm. rates in the United States consistently. Maybe we need Maybe to take a look at that. Maybe that's why Dion's going there. <laughs> <laughs> but We're all going to Colorado. <laughs> But I, and I also think just normalizing these conversations, yeah. seeing people that look like us, you know, doing different things to make sure our health is placed um, in, a, in a position of priority. Yeah. You know, one of the things, Shaka, you mentioned, I really loved when you said, you know, I got two hours of sleep, blah, blah, blah. that's nothing to really celebrate, you know, <laughs> you have to take care of yourself. Because I do know as African-American women, myself included we are we're involved in all of these civic yeah. organizations mm -hmm. we have several jobs we have different passions we raise our kids so we do a lot um but we always have to make sure we take care of ourselves right yeah. can you guys elaborate on that absolutely um self-care is essential stress management you know when you are when you stress your body out mentally or you stress it out physically. Like I'll get a patient that says, I work out, you know, 60 minutes a day, every single day. And I'm, you know, in orange theory every day, you're stressing your body out. And they'll say, but I can't lose any weight. Well, you got that cortisol running through your veins right now. Yeah. <laughs> Completely counteractive, but, but mental stress does the same thing. It does the exact same thing. So we have to find ways, and I know, I, I know it seems impossible for some situations and for some people. They say, yeah. how, how do I fix this? You know, how can I not be stressed out? I have this, mm -hmm. this, and this. You gotta find a way mm -hmm. to decrease your stress. And you have to sleep. You have to sleep. I can't even stress this enough. You have to have time. You know, when my kids were young, I used to have a bedtime routine. I would do um, bath book and bottle right and they knew that when that bath started it's time to wind down the mm -hmm. lights go down we go in the room it's the same consistent routine every day we have to have a routine that winds us down and allows us to get high quality sleep yep i agree you need you need your sleep and if healthy sleep not overly medicated sleep or you're getting an hour here and two hours there you definitely need sleep to even lose weight to be stress-free yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we, we have that hustle and bustle mentality, but it's not always the best thing for our bodies. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. We'll end on that note. Um, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity if you want to share any social media handles. How can people get in contact with you? <laughs> I am at Dr. B underscore wellness NP on Instagram. Um, 
Facebook, you can find my, my company, Karen Concepts Health and Wellness, on Facebook as well. And I don't have any social media, <laughs> media handles that I can share, <laughs> but thank <Okay>. you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.